chapter 16, this is verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this wasn't revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not, will not overcome it. I give you the keys of the kingdom of God. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The word of the Lord. Each year on Sunday in November, the second Sunday, we join with churches around the world praying for persecuted Christians. And we usually tell a little of their stories so that when we pray, we can pray knowledgeably and earnestly. Um, you heard some of our folks' stories as they minister around the world. And some of the stories we've heard over the years have been um, heartrending. You may remember Mary from a few years ago. Mary is a Sudanese Christian. We had her come and speak to us on a prayer for the persecuted church Sunday. She's young, smart, attractive. When her brother discovered she had become a follower of Jesus, he found a Bible under her pillow. He told his father and they beat her. They imprisoned her and they intended to go on beating her until she renounced her faith in Jesus. But by God's great mercy, she escaped the home. Uh, she found someone to drive her. She went into hiding and finally was able to flee to the United States. A couple years ago, we prayed for Asia Bibi, uh, a Pakistani woman who was pressured to renounce her faith in Jesus. When she wouldn't do it, a group of local men kidnapped her. They painted her face black. They made her ride through the village on a donkey and had every intention of killing her. Christians alerted the police who picked her up before they could do that, but then the authorities who had come to save her charged her with blasphemy and sentenced her to death. Um, perhaps because we and tens of thousands of people around the world wrote letters, the Pakistani Supreme Court acquitted her, but that caused an uproar among the extremists, and they certainly would have killed her upon her release, but she was able to get out of the country, and she's living with her daughters now in Canada. There have been many others that we've learned about over the years. Being a pastor, I remember particularly a Vietnamese pastor who had been imprisoned again and again and again. They'd let him out of prison, and he'd start talking about Jesus, and they'd stick him back in prison. Um, uh, an evangelist a couple of years ago we heard about who suffered horrible persecution in an Indian village. Um, people imprisoned in Saudi Arabia where proselytizing is a capital offense. You can be, be executed for it. When I hear those stories, I usually think of those Christians as harmless people who are just trying to live their lives in peace and, and believe in God as he's revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Why can't people leave them alone? They're not trying to hurt anyone. 
Why must they forever be defending themselves against mistreatment and arrest and even death? But I've come to think I've been looking at it wrong, looking at it from the perspective of a comfortable American Christian who has experienced almost no mistreatment. Occasionally, I've had people treat me coldly because they knew I was a Jesus follower. That just happened to me a couple weeks ago when I was on vacation. And um, the worst thing that's ever happened to me is that a few angry atheists have called me an idiot or a jerk. So when I look at how the authorities and even her peers treat, treated Asia Bibi, I think, how can people be like that? But I think I've been looking at it all wrong. From the perspective of the Pakistani authorities and Mrs. Mrs. Bibi's peers, Asia Bibi was not the injured party. She was the instigator. The authorities were just doing their jobs. From their perspective, it's the Christians who are on the offensive, and they're on the defensive, just trying to protect their people and their religion. All over the world, in nations where the greatest persecution against Christians is going on, the people and authority don't see what they're doing as evil, but as necessary. They don't see themselves as a threat to a gentle, loving people who only want to make the world and their country and their community a better place. They believe the Church of Jesus is inspired by foreigners, and when their people join it, they become traitors. They see Christians as infiltrators, troublemakers, and agitators. And that idea is nothing new. Uh, Way back in Paul's day, the people of Thessalonica tried to silence the Christians, and they took them to court. And they said, these are the people who've turned the world upside down, and now they've come here too. They're the revolutionaries. They're the troublemakers. Um, The government officials who are persecuting Christians, they see themselves as legitimate rulers and the Christ followers as rebels. They see themselves under attack and the church of Jesus as the attackers. They see themselves as the defenders of a way of life, and the Christians are the ones who want to change it. And you know what? They're right, at least in part. They might be wrong about a lot of things, but they recognize something that's happening. They are the defenders of a way of life. But it's a way of life in which the rule of God has been usurped and the love of God has been replaced. And whenever Christians announce that Jesus is the true Lord of the earth, they become a threat to that way of life. Instead of national sovereignty, the Christians conspire for Jesus' sovereignty. The Christians are extremists, rebels, insurgents. They are willing to be imprisoned for King Jesus. Some of them, again and again and again and again, they're willing to die for King Jesus. The the Christ followers are extremists, not the kind who will kill, but the kind who will be killed rather than dishonor their king. They refuse to hate, but they're ready to be hated. And you know what? They won't stop. They're faithful to Jesus and his lordship no matter what. You can't talk them out of it and you can't beat it out of them. There's a crucial point here for us, and I think it's one we don't normally see. And maybe we we don't want to see it because it'll make us uncomfortable. We're used to seeing things a certain way. We're the nice people. 
We're the moral majority. We were here first. And other people are trying to ruin that. For more than a generation, we've seen our way of life threatened by radicals from without. Communism, which was out to destroy our way of life. Or by moral deterioration from within. Because our focus has been on what we stand to lose, we've forgotten a fundamental truth. We are the invaders, not them. We're the revolutionaries. We are the insurgency. Sometimes we hear and even talk about the church as if it's losing ground, failing, as if the church is shrinking, and that makes us fearful. But the church of Jesus never shrinks because its true members don't leave, and even if they die or are killed, they don't cease to be a part of the church. God merely redeploys them to heaven. We're not losing. For example, reports have been coming in that the church in Iran, one of the most dangerous places in the world to be a Christian, is winning the day. It's said that the church is growing more rapidly in Iran right now than any place in the world. Our thinking needs to change. We're not on defense, but offense. That is, we are a part of a major offensive, Operation Overthrow. We are involved in the overthrow of the kingdom of the world and are determined to see it become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. The brothers and sisters who are being beaten, imprisoned, killed, they're in the hot zone, but we're all in the war. They are, they are on the front lines, but there are rear areas where the support units operate. But wherever one finds himself, the war is going on. You know, for, for more than a century, we in the United States have been in the rear. We're the support folks. We were sending people to the front lines. Sometimes we call them missionaries. But we were out of the main fray. That might be changing. Our children or their children may one day find themselves on the front lines. And it may happen very rapidly. Now, what do we do about it? Well, there are all kinds of things we can do and should do to help persecuted Christians. We can pray for them. Pick up this prayer calendar when you leave and use it to pray for persecuted Christians. We can write letters to them or write letters on their behalf. You can go to the Voice of the Martyrs website and you can find how to send letters to people who are in prison because of Christ. We can give to them. You'll have a chance to do that in a few minutes. And, and you can do that in an ongoing way. We can go be with them as God directs. Like our four guys who just got back yesterday from Papua, Indonesia. But the best thing we can do for our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted is our duty. We can fight the battle where we are. We can announce Jesus is Lord right here in Branch County. We can sacrifice our time, our money, our comfort, and our reputations to advance the kingdom of God here and everywhere. See, our brothers and sisters overseas don't want our pity. That's the danger of doing a service like this. We sit through it and we think, oh, how terrible it is for them. They don't want our pity. They want to win the war. The ancient war, 
not communism against capitalism, not totalitarianism against democracy, not nation against nation, not ideology against ideology. It's a world system that lies in evil or lies in the power of the evil one, as St. John put it, which stands against its creator and rightful Lord. Our brothers and sisters are on the front lines and they're fighting to win. And they expect us to do the same. Now, if this sounds way too militaristic for you, I understand that. If this makes you uncomfortable, I must tell you that yours is not a biblical mindset, but postmodern queasiness. I must also remind you, though, and this is important, that we are not fighting people of different religions. Never. We are not fighting people of different skin tones. Never. We're not fighting people of different languages or heritages or cultures. We're not fighting Democrats. We are not fighting Republicans. We're not fighting people. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We're not trying to defeat people. We're trying to win them. We're trying to overcome evil. And we're doing it in the only way that has any hope of success, by doing good. And I remind you, too, that we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. The weapons we use are not half-truths and threats and fear. Rather, as St. Paul says elsewhere, we use weapons of righteousness at our right and at our left, speaking truth in the power of God. And the biggest thing in our arsenal is love. We even love those who hate us and are trying to hurt us. As a pastor in a Pakistani city, the city of Peshawar said, we clean the wounds of those who hate us and those who would kill us. And let me remind you of this too. We will win. We will win because the gates of Hades will not prevail against us. They will come crashing down before the Son of God. We will win because we love and love cannot lose. We will win not because God is on our side, that's the truth inverted, but because we've come over to his side, we belong to Jesus. Now, you've heard stories of courage and faith, including our own people's faith. You've heard about people who are staking their lives on Jesus. Well, it's time to join them. And understand, you're not joining a cause, you're joining a king. It's time to sign up, to join the insurgency, to serve right where we are or wherever our captain sends us. Our Savior deserves it. Our brothers and sisters await it. And the world needs it. I'm going to close with a story from the front lines. Nigeria is on the front lines. When my son was at Gordon-Conwell, he, he shared an apartment with a Nigerian pastor who had left his family to come here to be educated and to go back. But Nigeria is a dangerous place. Nigeria is where the Muslim North meets the Christian South. And over the last few years, there's been terrible persecution. A few years ago, a Baptist church was burnt to the ground 
And then the, the extremists burnt the pastor's house down as well. On the, the second Sunday after the riots, the people of that little Baptist church gathered in a, a mud-walled community center about a kilometer from their burned-out church building. Their pastor stood up and he said to them, first, I'm grateful that no one in my church killed anyone. Imagine me saying that. I'm so glad you haven't killed anyone, but this is a different world, isn't it? I'm so glad that no one in my church has killed anyone. Many Muslims had said to him, Pastor, thank you for the way you taught your people. During the violence, they helped protect us. So the pastor was proud that his people hadn't joined in the, the violence. Second, he said, I'm grateful that they didn't burn my church. And the people looked at him as if he'd lost his mind. Their building had been burned to the ground. But he continued, inasmuch as no church member died during this crisis, they didn't burn our church. They only burned our building. We can rebuild the building, but we couldn't bring back to life any of our members. So I'm grateful that they didn't burn my church. And third, he said, I'm grateful that they burned my house as well. If they burned your house and not my house, how would I have known how to serve you as pastor? However, because they burned my house and all my possessions, I know what you're experiencing and I will be able to be a better pastor to you. So I'm grateful that they burned my house as well. Listen, people like that can't be stopped. People like that who belong to King Jesus are doing glorious things, things that redound to Jesus' glory around the world today. Let's join them. All for Jesus. Now let's pray. God, we bless your name for these people who are our brothers and sisters who share blood with us, the blood of the Savior. We bless your name for them and their courage but Lord, mostly because you are worthy of every sacrifice. And your kingdom cannot fail. Give us that confidence as we go out into our worlds. For the name and for the sake of Jesus. Amen.